0: Uh, I do want to be able to share just a little bit with you uh, specifically about fathers today. Uh, What is the thing that every man and every woman as well desires in life? It is to know that their life has made a difference, to know that what they did actually matters. Let me read a verse of scripture for you. It comes from Proverbs um, chapter 17, verse 6, and it says, Children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children is their father. Boy, to tell you the truth, I I hope that there will come a day where my kids can be able to say that their crown, basically their glory is found in their father. I want you to watch a brief video here just to kind of illustrate this for us this morning. As a young father, I, I don't think that I really had any idea what life would look like, not only for myself or for my kids in the years to come. I think a part of that is because of the fact that I'm very simple-minded at times. It's hard for me to see past what's on the surface. I see what's happening right here in front of me, but sometimes I can't see two or three or four steps down the road. Um, I just don't necessarily think everything through. It's, um, I don't think that I'm alone in that. I think that's actually a man thing to begin with. It's one of the reasons why when a woman asks a husband what, she's, what he's thinking, he can honestly answer nothing, because uh, we're really not thinking. We're just sitting there, and that happens sometimes, whereas uh, my wife, uh, it's not unusual for her to be thinking about something or 12 things all at the same time. It's just a part of uh, us, us men and the way we do things. Anyways, I didn't have a clue what the rest of life would look like for myself or uh, for my children, but I did have dreams about what it might look like, things that I wanted to see happen. I pictured my kids as being successful, as being well-loved. I pictured them as uh, individuals who would be responsible, young men and women, Um, I pictured them as being world changers, individuals who could actually make a difference in the lives of other people. Doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be the president or they have to be some huge public figure, but they were going to change the world, at least the world that they lived in. But I think the most beautiful part of that vision was the idea that one day my children would see Christ in me And in my wife, so much so that they would choose to walk in those same footsteps. I want you to know that God envisions the same thing for His children. In fact, He always has. Go all the way back to the Old Testament, and you will see that God always intended for his children to walk in obedience and grace, to know him so intimately that they would become imitators of him. When God promised Abraham on, that, that he would have an offspring, in the book of Genesis twenty two eighteen, 18, he declares that all the nations will be blessed through his offspring. You see, God's plan was for him and his people to be in a world changer. He would declare on multiple occasions that we were to be his people and he would be our God. There is no doubt regarding what God desired for his children. And I would venture to say that probably most dads who are here today would say the same thing. They have wanted their children to be people who would honor not only them, but honor God. But far too many times, our dreams for our children do not work out as we would plan. Sometimes it's because of our own lack of godliness or parenting skills. I hate to admit that, but sometimes I've not done it the way that I'm supposed to do it. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't believe that I'm alone in that as well. Sometimes it's simply because we may have done things right, but the fact is, at some point, our children are responsible for our children's choices. I would love to be able to walk the rest of my life blaming someone else for my choices. Well, you know, I didn't have a a real godly father, so it's not my fault, it's his fault. But the reality is, at some point, I'm responsible for me. Sometimes I may have done my job, but they still may choose to do what is wrong. We are told that if we train up our children in the way that they should go when they are old, they will not depart from it. That is actually a proverb. And the idea here is that if I do everything I'm supposed to do as a parent, there is a much greater probability that my children will walk in the godliness that has been modeled for them. But it's not necessarily an absolute statement. Instead, it is a proverb. It is a likely response. So what do we do when brokenness does occur within our family? I believe that the answer is found within the Old Testament story of the Israelites. And I'm beginning a series today that is going to be focusing on the judges, uh, specifically individuals whom God would raise up. Um, These were a group of people who had walked in the blessing of God. I'm talking about the Israelites here. Yet they were also people who had fallen. This was actually a familiar chorus for the Israelites. It seemed as though it happened over and over and over again. As we look through the book of Judges, we see a cycle of up and down faith and blessing. They would walk in God's blessing only to turn their backs on God. The result would be punishment and suffering, typically at the hands of neighboring nations, raiders who would come in and they would overpower them. And then God's people would cry out for God's help. They would basically reach that point where they knew that they had messed up and they realized that they couldn't get out of the problem that they had created. Do you remember the old uh, 1980s TV commercial where the lady has fallen? She yells out, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, that's basically where the Israelites repeatedly find themselves. They would fall in their sin and they would find themselves paying the price for that sin. And they'd realize, I can't fix this. So they would cry out, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. As they cried out for help every single time, God responded. He would raise up a leader, someone whom the spirit of God would rest upon. And God would enable them to deliver deliver the people of Israel from their oppression. And again, the cycle would take place. They would serve the Lord for a time, but the cycle would continue and they would fall back into their sin again. This describes what I had Jonathan read earlier from Judges chapter 2. Actually, if you want to look at the entire passage from Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 19, you see this cycle that's being described over and over and over again. Chapter 3 begins to introduce us to some of the specific characters. And honestly, the ones I want to look at today, they are the lesser known ones. There are some that we know exactly who they are. Samson was one of those. You guys know who Samson Is because you heard about him in Bible school when you were a kid. But some of these, uh, honestly, I I don't know that I ever really paid much attention to them. Maybe I heard them, but I I didn't really know them very well. There are three that are recorded in this chapter. We're just going to focus on one. His name is Othniel today. Othniel was uh, basically very similar to the other two. His story is found in Judges 3 verses 7 through 11. Basically, by reading the story of Othniel, we'll understand the other two that are here in Judges chapter 3. So I want to read this to you this morning. Judges 3 verses 7 through 11 says this, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of of Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharim. Jonathan, aren't you glad I didn't make you read those names? To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave cushan Rishathim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him so the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Canaz, died. First thing that I want you to see in this passage here is that evil actions always carry with it consequences. I would even take it a step further and say all actions carry consequences. Sometimes they are more significant than others, but they always carry consequences. If if I show a bad attitude, it will probably hurt me or somebody else around me. If I tell a lie, it will likely break trust between me and other individuals. If I commit adultery, I betray the marriage covenant that I have already committed to. And if I fail to live as a godly father, there is a good chance that my kids will walk down the same path. Our actions are never in a vacuum. Understand what I mean by that. There are times that we have almost assumed that when I choose to act in a certain way, I'm not hurting anybody else, so it's okay. But the reality is every action carries consequences. If I choose to be unfaithful to my family, Yes, it does hurt me, but you know what? It hurts my family too. It hurts my wife. It hurts my wife because her trust is broken in me. It hurts my kids because my kids have seen a model that that they're not supposed to see. And unfortunately in our culture, they see that an awful lot. And a part of it's because we've excused it saying, well, I'm not really hurting anybody. So it's okay. Sometimes we live one way in front of a large group of people, but then we go home and we live completely different. We're kind and gentle, we're loving, we're hardworking, we're honest people when everybody else is watching. But then we go home and we decide that it's okay for me to do things a little different here. But you cannot live life in a vacuum. What happens is the rest of the world is impacted. People are either hurt or they're built up by your actions. There are always consequences to every action that we take. Proverbs 15:6 declares that there is treasure in the house of the godly, but the earnings of the wicked bring trouble. The idea here is that good actions lead to good consequences and bad actions lead to bad consequences. Duh, we know that. It makes sense. But for some reason, we act like we don't sometimes. We still choose to walk in a way that is going to cause harm, not only to ourselves, but other people around us. In this case, as we look at the passage in Judges chapter 3, in this case, we're told that their sin was that they forgot the Lord. They worshiped other gods. That makes them seem like some of the dumbest people in the world to me, honestly. this This is just my thought. How good had God been to the people of Israel? You think about it, God had blessed them over and over and over again. Uh, Every time they needed something, they asked God and he would provide for them. He would provide them with leadership. He would provide them with food. He would provide them with a land. He would provide them uh, with victories, military battles over and over again. God provided over and over and over again. So why on earth would they ever choose to walk away from him. It actually says that they forgot the Lord. Now, let me suggest they really didn't forget the Lord. It sounds like they did, but actually what they did was they forgot how good God had been to them. They forgot what God expected of them, what he had already called them to. The fact is, God had done so much for them, they could not have literally forgotten him, at least we think. Actually, it may not be as common as it sounds, the way they behaved. I don't expect that too many of us will ever forget that we are Christians, but far too many of us will forget how Christians are supposed to live. There are multiple reasons for this. First, there are those who simply have never dug deep into God's Word to really know what God expects of us. The sad reality is that there will be many who will attend church all their lives, but they'll never actually grow in this decision that they've made. Somewhere along the way, they pray to prayer and ask God to forgive them of their sins. They want the salvation of God, but they've been content with just saying, well, I said the prayer, so I'm good. It's almost as if we have our ticket punched to heaven, so everything is settled, but the reality is God's word gives us in many ways a roadmap as to how we are to live now as children of God. We see in the New Testament church, the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because within the apostles' teaching, which we have in the Word of God, within the apostles' teaching, they had a roadmap to godly living. How, how do I live in a way that God would be pleased? So they, they were devoted to it. I'm not sure that many in the church, that's a sad thing, I'm not sure that many in the church are truly devoted to the apostles' teaching anymore. Never really learned what the transformed life looks like. Still others are trapped in their selfishness. It's not so much an issue of ignorance, and I don't mean ignorance in a negative way, but it's not just that they don't know, but there is a sense of selfishness. They may have some good intentions, but self gets in the way far too often. They've never committed themselves to the transformed life. They may know what God expects, but you know what? They kind of like living in sin. And by the way, sin is an attractive thing or nobody would do it. And they look and they say, well, you know what, I could live for God, but you know what, I really like the things that I get to do already. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give up any friends that maybe they're unhealthy. I don't want to give up any of the habits that have simply become a part of me. And selfishness keeps individuals far too often from truly experiencing the transformed life. They like the idea of salvation but they still want to continue to live the way that they have always lived. Again, unfortunately, there are many who attend churches every Sunday who could fit that description. So maybe the phrase, forgot the Lord, sounds a little foolish, but I wonder if there aren't many within the church who have forgotten how to serve the Lord. There's one more reason why this happens, and it's probably the one... That fits the Israelites most accurately. Sometimes if we are not careful, our faith can become so routine that we no longer passionately pursue God. Do you remember when you were really new in your faith? You made a decision and you really believed that God had done a great work in you and you thought to yourself, man, God is going to do something amazing in my life. Maybe like those fathers who see their children becoming world changers, maybe for you, you looked and you thought, man, God's going to use me to reach people. This is going to be awesome. My life is going to be so different. And you had that passion and that hunger, and maybe you got into God's Word right away, and you began to read the Scriptures, and you dug deep, and you wanted to know even more than what you were learning in church You'd go to bed at night and you'd be praying and you'd want so much that tomorrow you would be a stronger Christian than you were today. And and there was this passion that seemed like, man, it was amazing. Do you still have that passion today? I was talking with someone earlier this week and we were talking about, um, specifically about spending time in God's Word. It is a strength for us and it ought to be something that helps us, but... For far too many of us, reading God's Word has fallen by the wayside. Again, we were once passionate about it. We knew we ought to do it. It was something that was just a part of who we were. But is it still? If, if you can go between Sunday services without reading God's Word, then something is wrong. If you're not digging into God's Word on a regular basis, not just when the pastor's preaching, but every single day of our lives, we're probably not as passionate as we once were. I look at the people of Israel. There was a time that they knew that God had been good to them. He had provided for them. He blessed them. And somewhere along the way, they stopped doing what they were doing. They lost the passion. They lost the fervor. There in chapter 2, it identified that uh, the individuals would stay faithful, the people of Israel would stay faithful as long as the judge was still alive. But then once that judge died out, there was nobody to remind the people of what God had done for them and they would begin to wander away from their faith. The passion began to die out. And I fear that that's what happens far too often within the church. That we are a people who know we ought to be seeking the Lord with everything. And there was once this passion that burned brightly within us. But somewhere along the way, we allowed that passion to die out. I want to give you the, the response, the proper response to us, if that's who you are. Go to the book of Revelation for a moment. In the book of Revelation, we have a church that once had a love for God. And they are told that they have lost their first love. They are a church that they were once very passionate about God. They knew what God had done for them, but they had lost their first love. Do you know what his response to them was? Repent. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, that is the one word that we need to catch, repent. The term repent does not just mean confessing that I have sinned, but it is making the choice to turn around. I was going this way, now I'm going to go this way. We need to confess to God, yes, we have fallen short. We have not pursued you with that passion that we once pursued you with. And because of that, sin has begun to creep into our lives. So we must repent. Not only confess, let's go back to doing what we did at first. Go back to doing the things that you knew you were supposed to do all along the way. Somewhere along the way, we lost our passion. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's get back to the start. I've been coaching a softball tournament uh, this week, and it's been very exciting. Uh, yesterday we played in a game. We sent 18 batters to the plate in the first inning. You know how exciting that is? You know at that point you got a good chance of winning the ball game. A couple innings later, we have our girls in the field, and uh, we're still we're leading. We're, we're doing okay, but really they stopped doing some of the things that they're supposed to do. What happened was they got sloppy, and they stopped thinking about where to throw the ball and different things like that, and next thing you know, the other team has scored six runs on us, and you could see the frustration, the anger, so I called a timeout, and I went out, and I called all the girls into the infield so I could talk to them for a minute, and this is all I said to them, start over, go back to the beginning and start over. Every one of us has fallen short at some point or another. And the best thing for us to do is to repent and to go back and do the things you did at first. Go back to the basics. Get back to doing things the way you knew you were supposed to do it in the first place. God desires that we be right with him. Far too many of us have compromised in our pursuit of God. And the result is we also compromise in our works And we are not necessarily the people that God created us to be. So it needs to be fixed. When that happens, there are consequences. The first thing that most of us want to do when our lives start to fall apart is that we try to fix those things ourselves. We try to make things right. And there is some merit to this. We got ourselves into it, so maybe we ought to try to get ourselves out of it. But herein lies the problem. There are some problems that we cannot fix on our own. And sure, we created the problem because we allowed sin to take place in our lives. But there are some problems that simply require God's intervention for things to be made right. Our passage tells us that the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They reached a point where they realized that they could not fix the problem themselves. And I would suggest to you, whether we're talking about parents or we're talking about the individual and maybe you've made a poor choice in relationships or maybe it's an integrity issue at work, the best thing for us to do is to cry out to the Lord, to repent of the sin that we have allowed to take place, to confess to him that we genuinely need his help. We have fallen short and we can't fix this. We need you to step in and do it for us. This does not absolve us from the responsibility to make choices ourselves. Every single day we are to die to sin and every day temptation will come. And it is important that we still make that choice to live for him in a way that would honor him. But he is the only one who can cleanse us of our sin. He is the only one who can truly offer us forgiveness. So we need to cry out to him. Yeah, God, I, I've messed up. I've made some really poor choices. But God, I am yours. And I I need you to come in and fix my problem. You know, sometimes as a a parent, it's hard when you see your kids make poor choices, especially when you start to see the consequences that come from those poor choices. You want to step in and Sometimes you maybe even want to fix some of those problems. Sometimes you, you, want, to, you want to sort of take over, but the reality is sometimes you're going to have to deal with some of the consequences and it's for their best interest. But we have a God who looks and he says, I know what you've done, but I still love you more than anything in this world. That's why I sent Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to die for us. He says, I will be there to walk with you in spite of the choices that you've made. The Israelites knew that the best place for them to turn... By the way, it didn't happen overnight. We're told that they were under oppression, at least in this situation, for eight years. That's pretty stubborn. You got consequences that are very ugly and hard to deal with. They sat in it for eight years before they reached a point that they would call out to God and help Why wait eight years before you call out for God's help? You've heard the phrase, when all else fails, try God. Why wait until all else fails? Why not go to the one who is able to help you in the first place? I know, we want to fix it because it's our problem. Yeah, but he's a whole lot better at fixing problems. They called out to the Lord, and when they called out to the Lord, he was faithful to answer every single time the result that followed was that the people would then begin to seek the lord And i love the very last verse that we read uh, today it says the lord gave kushan rishathim i messed up the name again king of aram into the hands of othniel who overpowered him so the land had peace for 40 years When we choose to do things God's way, when we reach a point where we realize we can't fix this on our own, Lord, I give up. I need you to do this. That's when we find peace. See, I can't come up with that on my own, but he can make things right. God promises that when we choose to walk in his way, he will bless. I'm not telling you're going to be a millionaire. That would be awesome if that's the way it worked out. what I am telling you is that when you choose to do things God's way, He will bless and He will provide for your every need. There may be times you still struggle. There may be times that you have to deal with things that you never wanted to deal with. But He will be there to walk with you and He will grant you peace. Basically, the idea of today's message is this. If we are to be the people that God has called us to be, We must, first of all, repent and cry out to him and allow him to make what's wrong right. I believe he desires to do that. Whether you're a dad, you're a child, you're a mom, it doesn't matter. We have a God who loves us that much. And if we would simply repent and cry out to him, he will move on our behalf and he will grant that peace. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful for your grace, for the many times that we have fallen short, the times that we have made poor decisions, the times that we have sort of forgotten our faith. Thank you for being a gracious God who is not only going to hold us accountable, but is also going to be there when we cry out to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to honestly examine our own hearts. We ask that you would transform us, turn us into the people that you called us to be. Help us to live the transformed life, allowing your spirit to dwell within us and allowing our actions, the choices that we make, to flow out of that. Lord, I pray that you would be with my kids Help them to see a godly father. Help them to see someone who loves you more than anything else. And help them to walk in those same footsteps down the road. Lord, I praise you. I pray for each family right now that they would have that same experience. Lord, may you have your way in the next generation because you had your way in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.